chapter 2, just back one page, Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, beginning at verse 23, this is the word of God. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Amen. This is God's holy word. Sometimes people who make our laws tend to get themselves a little bit carried away. And sometimes they will pass laws that to the normal man seem quite ridiculous, but to them at that time seemed so wonderful. Some research on Google finds some examples of some of the silliest laws I have ever heard of. In Fairbanks, Alaska, it is illegal to serve alcohol to a moose. This is actually a law written down. There is a city in Arizona where it is illegal to drive a car in reverse. Again, crazy. Apparently in that time they didn't realize how you would ever get out of a parking lot spot. There is a town in Minnesota where a woman can be arrested for impersonating a certain person that people celebrate around Christmas. In Oklahoma, People who make ugly faces at dogs can be arrested and jailed or even fined. In Nicholas County, West Virginia, a preacher is not allowed to tell jokes from the pulpit. Crazy. I hope, I hope we would all agree that those are some of the most silliest laws that we have ever heard. I don't hear anyone saying, no, I agree with some of those, so that's good. But in today's text that we've just read, we are going to see some people who were very zealous and who thought scandalous things of others who did not keep God's law, especially the law of the Sabbath. For the Jews, these people who Christ was dealing with here, this would be no ordinary scandal. This scandal that we read off here and putting all of it together, because we have to do that, 
This scandal would create such anger and such hatred towards Jesus Christ that the Jews at this point, right here, right now, would seek to kill him. Most people take the passage that we've read in the first few verses of chapter 3 and they put them together. If you've come here this morning to wonder about the Sabbath and what's Merv's views on it, that's next time. I'm sorry to disappoint you. But the text that we have this morning, I want us to look upon some of what the Jews thought about the Sabbath. Because look, chapter 3 and verse 6, the Pharisees went out immediately, held councils with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Men had views. Men, women, had views so strong that contradicted our Savior that they sought to kill him. As I've been studying this, it's been such a blessing and a tonic to my own soul to have that teachable spirit. I hated school. Children, don't be like me. Love school, enjoy it. But learning was something that I struggled with until I was able to use my hands and then engineering grew. But learning is something that all of us must do. And so this morning I want us to notice this text under three headings. First of all, take notice first of all of a supposed a supposed infraction as we read it there in verse 23. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. There is a day when the disciples, those men who Jesus had called, were walking through some grain fields. And being hungry, as they probably no doubt were, they plucked the heads of grain as they passed through the field. In itself, this was allowed. If you went all the way back to Deuteronomy 23, you would see there where it says there in verse 25, if you go into your neighbor's standing green, then you may pluck the heads with your hands, but you shall not use a sickle on your neighbor's standing green. So we need to understand that the green wasn't the issue. The problem was not what the disciples were doing, it was when they were doing it. Mark clearly tells us one Sabbath. They did this on the Sabbath day, which is the Saturday. It was, this, it was that day of creation that extends from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturdays. And the Sabbath day had a unique place in Judaism. Most religions in the world venerate sacred places. Okay? Think of Rome. Okay? Think of Mecca. Islam honors Mecca. Hinduism honors the river Ganges. Judaism also venerated Jerusalem, and especially the temple as sacred places, but it actually venerated something even beyond these and actually really above them. A time. 
And that time was the Sabbath day. Because Sabbath keeping was important to them. It's something that perhaps we as 21st century Christians who have all our luxuries and everything we have struggle to understand, but their Sabbath keeping was so rigid to them. Remember who these people were. They were Jews. Okay? And yet even to this very day, very day, their observance of the Sabbath is something that is set above most other things. Where do they get it from? Sadly, we were reminded yesterday in a men's study that many years ago, religious men who stood at the front didn't even know where the Ten Commandments were. When I read that, I was kind of shocked, but not surprised. The Ten Commandments are obviously found in Exodus 20, and the Jews would look at verses 8 through 11, honoring the Sabbath day, where it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This was their Sabbath day. This is what they stuck to. Sundown to sundown. This is what they went tooth and nail for. And this is what was the final nail in the coffin for these Jews when they said we must kill him. They looked at Jesus and they looked at their Sabbath day and they'd rather have that than have our Lord. Which then secondly this morning takes us into consider the Pharisees' distraction as we find it there in verse 24. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? The Pharisees got everything in a bunch. Because they believed the disciples of Jesus were not honoring God's laws of the Sabbath. Here's the problem. The problem is that the Pharisees mixed up man's law. What they had made. What they believed in. Rather than God's law. And they rendered God's laws as burdensome. As difficult. As hard. And as kind of like that yoke upon your neck. That is what they made the Lord's day and the Sabbath like. But that is not what this day is like. So from the very outset, you should know that this day is to be a blessing as God has intended it to be. The Pharisees followed that tradition of their oral laws. If you do any research at all, you will know that they actually had 39 classes of work that profaned the Sabbath. Things that we might actually agree on some. And some will go, 
we have all broken the Sabbath this morning. Things that they included were plowing the land, hunting the land, butchering. Things that we might not expect were these. Tying or loosening knots. Sewing more than one stitch or writing more than one letter on a piece of paper. For those of you this morning who are wearing shoes like I am and you had to tie your laces, you've broken the Jewish Sabbath. For those of you who are taking notes and you've been writing with your pen and taking notes, you too have broken the Jewish Sabbath. I hope no mother this morning had to put a patch in anyone's trousers. But if you did, it wasn't one stitch that you did. No doubt there were numerous. This is how far the Jews took the laws. The general rule or observance was not to do any work on the Sabbath that was not deemed necessary. Necessary meaning life-threatening. And such scrupulous rules and regulations made it so hard for any man to worship God on the Sabbath. If your child this morning fell off the chair and it dislocated something, according to the Jews, you would not be able to repair it. Your child would scream in anguish. If your roof fell in in your house, sorry, you can't do that either. But yet on the other hand, they had a rule that if a building fell down on the, on the Sabbath, enough rubble could be removed, just enough, not a pebble more or a pebble less, just enough to discover if any victims were dead or alive. If they could be rescued, they were. If they were dead, those corpses would remain in that rubble until sunset. So when they turn around and they say to our Lord, Look, what are they doing? Understand this is where it comes from. All the rules, the regulations, the stipulations regarding the Sabbath day. The first rule that these men had broken was a rule of travel. If we actually take what they did and break it out. Walking more than, a, than 1,999 paces or about 800 meters was considered a journey. And it was something that they said was forbidden. How they came up with that, I have no idea. Secondly, plucking that head of grain was considered the equivalent of reaping. And then, heaven forbid, these men rubbed it on their hands. I've done it many a time and back at home when my dad had wheat in the ground. Tastes really good, fresh, rubbed in your hands. But these men rubbed away the husk to eat and that was considered threshing. 
So simply grabbing that, they violated three things, according to the Jews. None of this stuff. None of this stuff. Not setting dislocated bones. Not fixing falling roofs. Not leaving dead corpses in rubble. Not walking more than 1,999 paces. And making and plucking grain and rubbing husks. None of these was God's laws. All of these were man's traditions. All of these had been handed down over generation to generation. And the word of man actually overstood the word of God. And this adding to God's word, Christ rebukes them. Christ dealt with it time and time and time again. And in Matthew 15, after describing several ways the Pharisees twisted God's intended meaning of his laws by their own man-made rules and traditions and elevating them above or equal to God's authority, what does Christ say to them there? You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy about you saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth. And honor me with their lips, but their heart, their heart is far from me. But they worship me in vain teachings as doctrine, doctrines, the commandments of men. You hypocrites. God's law was good. We as a church should know that more. In these days, why? Psalm 119. Psalm 119 over and over again tells us that God's law, not man's law, not man's thoughts, man's whatever, no, God's law is good for man's soul. This morning, if you sit there and you think, well, God's laws are nothing more than a beating stick, I urge you, stop. Go and read Psalm 119. You've got all afternoon. Read it. See what the psalmist says there when he talks about the law of God. You see, these these Jews did nothing but reduce one's relationship to God as a, as a manual. Back home, I used to buy Haynes manuals. I don't know if they have them here. Jeremy may know of them. Yes, they do. Haynes manual for any car that I would have. Why? Because it'd give blow by blow of basically how to take a car apart and how to build it all back together again. And the Jews did the same thing where they made a list of manuals of do's and don'ts. Do this, do this, oh, don't do that, don't do that. But it wasn't according to God's word, it was what they thought in their own minds. It's described as Pharisee traditions resulting in the domestication of real faith into humanly attainable standards. 
people's hearts could be full of evil thoughts. They could be full of anger. They could be full of lust. They could be full of selfishness. But as long as the outward requirements were made of these man-made rules, they could appear to others to be holy, and yet inwardly they were corrupt to the core. When I prayed this morning in our corporate prayer, we prayed that God is all-knowing. When I wrote this in my notes, I had to stop. And I had to be reminded that man sees the outward. But God sees our hearts. And there are many times that we can be just like these Jewish people. Where we can come with our shirt and our tie. We can come with our nice dresses. We can come, as it were, as we say, dull to the 99s, looking really prim and proper, but the inside is horrible. Remember who sees. Children, who sees what you do when mom and dad aren't there? Teenagers, who sees what you're clicking on the internet? Who sees what's given to you by a friend? When mom and dad are not around, who sees? God. God sees. And God knows all things. And he sees all things and he hears all things. Be reminded of that, brothers and sisters, this morning. At times we can live our Christian life very casually. We can live it sometimes like the Jews on a Sabbath. But for us it's today. We come up those stairs and we've got a smile on our face. But what do our children see tomorrow morning? What do our wives or our husbands see when we shut the door at night? Do they see the same Merv who's at church? Or is it night and day difference? Children. Who sees when you're told not to do something and you disobey? Mom and dad may never find out. But God sees. When I was a nine-year-old boy, me and my cousin used to play football inside with a little small soft ball. And my mom used to collect. It was called Royal Dalton. It was very expensive. And it used to sit in the corner and it was really, it was what she liked. And one day, we Merv thought he was Pele and he kicked that ball and he broke this little vase. I had two options. Confess and get walloped by my father because he told me not to do it. Or get on my bicycle and ride for one mile with the one pound I had and buy super glue and put it together. What do you think I did? Separately. It wasn't until recently that my mother found out. My father didn't beat me, thankfully, although he could have if he wanted. 
But at that point, I had the decision, do I tell and be honest or do I be dishonest? Don't be like Pastor Murph. Be honest. The Bible tells us to confess our sins. Even when we do wrong, to admit that we do it. But these people were so corrupt, these Jews were so corrupt on the inside, and yet the outside seemed to be shining bright and holy. And yet what did Christ say? They were hypocrites who worshipped God in vain. All of this became a distraction from what was really important. They were too busy with the trivia to see the truth. Even when the truth stared them right in the face. They were too fond of of legalizing and dissecting the sacred text and debating it and distorting it and devaluing it. That all their traditions became huge to them. They failed to see the obvious. To them what the fathers, lowercase f, had said was more important than what the Father, God above, had said to them through his word. They'd rather listen to their traditions of man than read the word of God and live their lives by it. But Jesus... Jesus ignored all of their endless discussions, all their footnotes, all their marginal notes, all of their add-ons, their extras. And what does he do? I am Christ. Follow me. Because thirdly, if you're taking notes, we read here in verses 25 through 28, Jesus' reaction. Verse 25 says, And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. They've come at him with the accusations. They've come at him with, do you see your men? Do you see what they're doing? Do you see how disobedient they are? What does Jesus say? Have you never read? That's one of those moments when we need to slow down and read it. Think of who these men were. These were men who, to the people all around, because remember, this is not done in secret. People are watching, people are listening, and they come up and they accuse, and what does Jesus say? Basically, have you never read your Bible? It's that proverbial slap on the face. Do you not know what is written in the word of God? Do you not know these things? Jesus used this incident that we read off there of David and the bread. That bread that had been consecrated for the priest to use. 
And it wasn't to be used for any other purpose. And here we read the account is back in 1 Samuel 21, 3 through 6. That David took the showbread and he ate it and he gave it to those who were with him. Jesus was using common sense. He was saying that at times human needs, the needs of humans, the needs of you and I take precedence over rules and rituals and sacred things. To them, their, their eyeballs were probably as big as saucers right now. What in the world is it? This, this guy's just, with his words, beating our face. You see, in verses 27 and 28, Jesus, as it were, puts a, like a, an exclamation point. And in fact, he puts two. Because in verse 27, he corrected the mistake that I'm trying to get to you this morning. We will deal with the Sabbath later on in the next sermon. But the Jews had put such a burdensome yoke upon the Sabbath. But the Sabbath was meant by a loving, by a loving and benevolent Father to be a weekly blessing for his people. How far have we strayed from this? There's one day in seven. One. There's one day that's to be given as a day of rest from work. It's meant to be given as a day of rest for our bodies, but it's also to be given as a day of worship. But we ignore it. And we don't reap the benefits from this day that God in His goodness has given us. We are created. Creation. That's why I prayed about creation as well. God structured it this way. But we ignore the principle of the day set aside for worship and rest at what? At our peril. The idea of one day of rest is indeed part of that creation narrative. We are created to have one day completely devoted to rest and worship. When we honor the Lord's day by worshiping God in church, refraining from work, we are not putting ourselves under Old Testament law. Rather, we are filling our bodies and soul with what God's original plan was. The point is that one day, one day is set aside for these things was not a burden, but a blessing. This morning, how blessed do you feel? Do you actually delight in this day? Do you delight in it? Is it a blessing to your soul this day that God has given that he has set aside? Or is sitting in these nice comfortable seats in a nice warm room something you just do?
Why are you here? If I can be as blunt as that, why on earth are you sitting here this morning? It's a sad state of affairs that for some, sitting here is just something that we do. And even at times that can go for us as believers. There are times that walking up those, those steps at the back, it's maybe the last thing I would like to do. But yet it's what I have to do. Think about it this way. And this has happened to some of us in this congregation. You're unable to make it to church for one week, two weeks, maybe even three, through sickness, illness. Perhaps your job has called you away. Think about the Sunday that you were able to return. Those Sundays when you're at home in your bed sick or in the bathroom sick. Where did your heart long to be? Did it long to be with God's people in his house worshipping him? Or was it just another day? And then think upon that Sunday morning. When you arose. Perhaps you'd had a good week. And you were able to come to God's house. What, was, what were you like that morning that you knew that you could come through those doors and worship the risen God? For me, it was one of excitement. It was one of joy. It was one of trepidation. At times, it was one of fear. But overall, it was one that was joyous because I could come worship. How do you say fair this morning? What makes you sit in those seats week after week? What is the Lord's day to you? Is the Lord's day a bunch of silly man-made laws added to that basic principle that God wanted us to have that ruined the Sabbath for the Jews? Do you really think any of them actually enjoyed it? 139 different laws to abide by in a 24-hour period? Some of us can't even abide the speed limit the minute we get out of our driveway. And they had to abide by these from sundown to sundown the next day. But secondly here, Jesus makes a startling statement about who he is. Therefore, therefore, everything that has proceeded, everything that we've thought about there, about fasting, about Levi, about the the paralytic man, about him cleansing the leper, about his preaching in Galilee, comes to this crescendo. Therefore, so the Son of Man is Lord 
even of the Sabbath. Do not read your Bibles with blinkers on. Read it. Gurgitate it. Meditate upon it. Think upon it. Everything that has come to this point, Christ now says, I am the Messiah. Christ is referencing to himself as the Son of Man. He's referring here to his deity. Think back to one of our earlier sermons when Christ, when he was baptized. This is my beloved Son. Guess what, people? I am he. Jesus is referencing to himself as the Son of Man. He is saying here that he is the Messiah. He is the one who they have been waiting upon. And yet he's right in their face and they want nothing to do with him. That he indeed was God in human flesh. This is the first time that Christ boldly, boldly proclaims it. And you know what they do? They can't hack it. Because in verse 6 they say, let's get rid of this boy. He, the Son of Man, was Lord of the Sabbath. Every Jew would have known that God was the Lord of the Sabbath. But here he is again, another slap. He's saying, I am God. I am God in human flesh. I am Jesus Christ, the Messiah. God had instituted God had put it into the law of Moses and the Ten Commandments as a purpose to worship and give devotional time to God in worship. God was the Lord of the Sabbath. But here we have Christ saying that He, He is the Son of Man. He was the Lord of the Sabbath. Hence, Christ here is saying, I am God. having already claimed the authority to forgive sins all the way back in chapter 2. Remember the guy who came through the roof? Here Jesus ups the ante. Here he is looking these men right in the eyeballs, saying, I am Christ. And here's where the rubber meets the road. What is Christ to you this morning? Is he the Messiah? Is he the one you've been waiting for? Or is he one that you just merely give a tick in the box and move on? Yes, you know him by name. But do you know him in your heart? Young people, you're taught faithfully week after week, downstairs, night after night, or morning after morning in your home by your parents. You know him in your head, but do you know him in your heart? Because there is a vast difference. The Jews knew of God. But they wanted nothing to do with the Savior. And so this morning as we wrap it all up for the first part. We'll come back to it in two weeks time. This passage confronts us with some important truths. That we must not miss. We've said them throughout. But we need to apply it now to our lives personally. 
Christianity does not consist of a load of do's and don'ts made by man. Some of our young people in the last two days have been learning the Ten Commandments. Not perhaps the ones we'd like them to learn, but the Ten Commandments in regard to hunter safety. Those were very good. And all knowing those commandments are great, and reciting them as some did and got prizes for, those won't get you to heaven. But neither will obeying all ten that God has given us, because no man can. I always remember a faithful old man years ago gave the illustration of the Ten Commandments. Write the Ten Commandments on a piece of glass. We had a nice big sheet of glass. We could write it behind us and we'd write all ten out and we would know them. And people would say, oh yes, I can keep all ten. Well, there's maybe one I can't keep. So you'd hand the person a little pebble. And you'd say, why don't you knock out the one that you can't? You get the picture? If one fall, they all fall. You see, we are sinners. We have been born in sin. So do not think this morning that you were born this little angel because you were not. Parents know that all too well, raising our children. I hope none of us taught our kids to be bad. I don't see anyone nodding say they did, which is good. But they are born in sin. And so were we. And we were so vile and so wicked that only the saving, pardoning grace of Christ could change us. Some of us may even have tried to do it ourselves. Guilty. Lived a life before my parents that was pleasing to them. If God had not saved my soul and I died, I would have went to hell. I would have read my Bible. I would have been that boy that just agreed and never gave any hassle. Those things, children, do not get you into heaven. Saving faith in Christ is the only thing. Older people, how do you stand before a holy God? You come in through those doors week after week, month after month. But sitting here this morning isn't your ticket to heaven. Having a a note written in the front of your Bible also is not a ticket to heaven. I say this time and time and time again. Why? Because some do not listen. Some of you are still in your sin and some of you are still unrepentant. Today. Today is the day of salvation. Today is a day to turn from your sins and run to that Savior of the world. Believers, whenever we forget the love and the forgiveness and the ministry and the mercy that are at the very heart of Christianity and we we change them with rules and regulations, we're headed to spiritual disaster. That outward expression... It comes from the heart. Where is your heart this morning? Remember, God sees the inside.
We should be praying that God would flourish those fruits of the Spirit. Those spirits that that would help us and and aid us and, and show people of who we really are. But we need to be teachable. As you read the accounts of the Gospels, or as I have read it, it remarks me so many times that the Pharisees, they had it right there. They had Christ right in their gaze. They had Christ's teachings given to them audibly. And yet they were so hard of heart that they refrained. Is that you this morning? There are many times that you've come into this building. And God's word has been opened to you. And yet you spurn it. The Bible tells us we may not get tomorrow. We may not get another Sabbath day to come and worship God. I ask you, if the Lord was to take your breath today, how would you stand before a holy God? You cannot go and say, well, I kept all your rules. I followed all the rules. I followed the ten steps. There are none. It's saving faith in Christ. Members, of this church. The Sabbath day matters. This day that God has given us matters. We'll get into some more detail next time. But I urge you, as your pastor, as one who cares for your soul, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves here. You should be faithful to church. You should be faithful to the means of grace that God has given us. You should be faithful in prayer meetings and and Bible studies, even like we had yesterday morning. We should be faithful in these things. God has given us this day. It's not a burden. It's a delight. And it should be a delight. And this morning, if you sit there and perhaps you think, well, it's not, then I urge you, repent. Confess to God. Confess that he would ignite in your heart that love for his day once again. Remember when you were first saved. You couldn't get enough. And yet as time goes on, we wane and we wane. And the things of this world fall upon us. I saw an Instagram last night of a dog who had gotten wet. And it reminded me of what I'm about to say next. We need to shake off. Shake off the things of this world. Our eyes should be fixed upon heaven and upon home. When we come to Christ, he gives us two things. He gives us eternal life. Do you realize that this morning if you believe in him? Eternal life is yours. And he helps us in this life here. This life doesn't have to be a dreary one or a drudgery one. No, why? Because of what is on your lap. 
the holy pages of Scripture. One of the most amazing things that I've discovered as I'm getting older, and I can say that now, being 40, but I've never known anyone to say, even reading autobiographies and talking to older seasoned saints, I've never once known anyone to say that they regretted living their life for God. Never. The only regret that we keep reading and hearing of is people saying that they wish they had come to Christ sooner and that they wish they had lived their life more to His glory. When we trust in Christ, when we live for Him, when we know Him as our personal Savior, we are not immune from the problems of life, no. But we have the resources of an Almighty God to face them with what? With hope and with confidence. We have the promise of joy and peace and fulfillment and contentment. But are we? Are we this morning on this day Content for the day that he has given us to worship him. I ask you, are you? If not, then seek forgiveness and Christ will help you. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your holy word. We do thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and his example to us here of being the one who we can cling to and run to in our time of need. The one who left heaven to come to this earth to take the form of man and to live a life and to die on our behalf. Lord, we thank you for this day that you've given us to worship and to praise you, our great God. We pray that we would take all of it, this whole day that you've given us, to do that very thing. We ask, O oh Lord, that our conversations, even as we leave this morning, would be of spiritual things. Things to encourage our hearts. Things to even challenge us upon. But that we, in these days, even one to another, would speak much of Christ. Lord, we pray for those who know you not. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would do a dealing today. Even this, your day. That as they have seen Christ in all of his glory, that they would see their need of a Savior. That for even some of these young ones who have that head knowledge, that you, O oh Lord, would give them a new heart. Lord, we even now pray and thank you for the food that we are about to receive downstairs. We ask that our fellowship would be loving and kind towards one another. And we praise you for the abundance of what you've given us. Lord, be near to us to the point of our need. For we ask it in Christ's precious name. Amen.